This is the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense Podcast. I'm Susie Collick, the founder of Pretty Deadly Self-Defense. And I'm Kate Lismer, a writer, traveler, mother, and expat. As a woman who lives in a big city and likes to travel, I'm very curious about self-defense. I've never had any training, so I have a lot of questions. And I have a lot of answers. We figured you probably have similar questions too, and so we thought it'd be a great idea to share this conversation and put it in a podcast. So welcome to the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense Podcast. So one of our recent episodes was about the bystander effect and how some people um, just don't have the wherewithal or the tools to intervene. And I'm wondering if if you are a witness to something, if you observe someone else being intimidated, harassed, or even facing an assault, is there a way to be a safe interventionist? Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's there's training for that kind of stuff as well. Um, I think if we, starting with like a a physical assault, intervening in a physical assault, of course, puts the person intervening also in danger. So it's not something that I think most people would recommend doing. It's not something that most people would recommend doing unless you have a lot of training or you are protected in some way. It is possible to intervene in the sense of um, causing a distraction, if you can. Um, If you feel physically safe, then yeah, step in and intervene. You know, absolutely. Pull that guy off of that other guy. But without training and without knowing how to protect yourself, you know, don't put yourself in the middle of it. In a physical altercation. In a physical altercation. But, I mean, remember there was that that horrible college kid in California who raped the girl behind the dumpster, and he was interrupted by two other guys, right? I mean, she was unconscious, so it wasn't a physical altercation in the sense that she was trying to defend herself. Um, But they did see the guy and stop him and pull him off. Mm Mm-hmm. There were two of them. They felt strong enough to do that. And they obviously were very convinced of the fact that they were on the the morally correct side. I agree with them. I think most people do. But again, you know, I mean, it's it's two men who are physically big, who are together so they can protect each other as well in case the guy got violent. And they felt safe enough, you know, with each other to be able to intervene physically. And I think that this is where things can get a bit risky because we don't, even if you've had some martial arts training, you know, or, or any kind of physical training and you see a physical altercation or a physical assault, you may have the desire to jump in. But if you don't, if you're not really secure, you risk making matters worse for the other for the victim as well as for yourself. So it's a it's that's a tricky situation I think. Um but I'm not saying don't intervene. I'm just saying, you know, assess the situation for yourself first. Take care of yourself first. You know, it's kind of like on airplanes. Put your oxygen mask on first before you help others. Yeah, I mean, I guess then 
rather than have like physically intervening, maybe there, what would you say about if you are going to keep your distance, but maybe there's other ways that you can help that person that don't involve a physical intervention? Right. Well, that's where I think you can create a distraction. Um, you can, of course, call for help, call other people to help. Um, sometimes that can just mean like shining a spotlight on the person who's um, the aggressor in the situation. Sometimes that can mean, you know, calling other people to help you pull the victim out of the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, but so if you're away from it, you know, and there's other people around that you can try and recruit to help, that would be great. If not to create a distraction for the attacker, you know, get their attention, not the victim's attention, because the victim is too busy trying to defend themselves, but get the attacker's attention away to allow for an opening for the victim to get away is a way to do it. Well, and we've talked in the past about making noise, and maybe that's one way of um, creating a distraction and also drawing attention at the same time. Right. A lot of... um, A lot of what's behind ninjutsu is the idea of disruption. Disrupting um, a movement or disrupting a a balance. So, or disrupting a, a scene. Right. So that same principle can be applied in those situations. How do you disrupt it? Which is what you're really doing. So if we think about, um, I'm going to go in and save this person, that's noble, but that's not necessarily the smartest strategic approach. But if you think about, I'm going to disrupt this situation then that actually creates a whole lot more opportunities for you. So you can do that physically. You could do that with noise. You can do that with lights. You can do that. I mean, you could use the flashlight on your smartphone and turn it on and shine it in the aggressor's eyes so they're blinded, even if it's only a second. You know, those things have a fairly decent range, right? You might need a couple people to do it with you, which, of course, will look like the total power rangers kind of thing. But nonetheless, that could also work. You could throw things at the attacker. You know, there's a lot of different ways instead of putting yourself physically in between the attacker and the victim. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you think in terms of disruption, how can I disrupt this thing that's happening right now Mm -hmm. instead of stopping it or saving anybody or helping someone? Those things are, I think, are a little more limited when we think about that, how can I help? Mm-hmm. Then we think, oh, I'm going to focus on the victim. How can I help them? How can I disrupt the situation? Mm-hmm. You know, and that can mean, you know, like shouting to someone, hey, catch long enough for the attacker to like have that weird reaction. This is a totally fake scenario, but, you know, maybe they have a reaction. They reach up to catch something, but in that second, they've let the victim go. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it could be a lot of different things. The, the, when it's kind of more a verbal aggression, um, on the, the subway or on the street or something, I think one of the ways that we can, we can, um, help disrupt there is a little safer for us to actually insert ourselves physically in the sense of creating a physical barrier between the aggressor and the victim. You know, so they can't see the person that they're screaming at anymore. 
And you can do that in ways that don't necessarily heighten the energy of the situation. You know, I, because I'm a 50-year-old white lady that looks, you know, pretty unthreatening to most people, um, I can insert myself as like, you know, the kind of dingy soccer mom, you know, <laughs> hey, I'm looking for this play, you know, ask directions. Mm, that's a good idea. You know, when I'm on the subway, I might actually just kind of inch over in between two people to look at the subway map, just pretend I don't even see what's going on. But now I've created a barrier between the two. Mm-hmm. Um Sometimes like this I have done uh, when I lived in Paris because it's very common in Paris for certain kinds of men to kind of just like really stare in the most penetrating and violating way to women. And when I've seen this with younger women, when they start, you know, it's, it's very upsetting. I've gotten up and stood in between so that, the other person's, you know, view is blocked. They can't look at her anymore. That's great. You know, so we can do all these things. So there's a very, there's a video of a guy called the chip, the chip eating guy. <laughs> and there was a, I think this was in New York. There was some altercation that happened on a subway train and it looked like it was about to get out of hand and he's eating this bag of chips, this other guy. And he just kind of wanders into the middle of it and just stands there eating chips. But now he's created a barrier between the two people. Mm-hmm. And it's helped to diffuse the situation so everyone can be safe. So this is a very safe way to intervene. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these things. There's another video that I keep like finding and then losing um, that was made, I think, in South Korea um, about disrupting sexual harassment on the train. And it's it's a silent video. And it's it's just like this, you know, this view on the train and – guys creeping on women and somebody kind of disrupts the situation by extending their selfie stick into the guy's space, you know, which creates a barrier between him and and the woman or by, you know, pretending to fall from a lurch of the train and breaking them up. You know what it, a lot Mm -hmm. of like little subtle things that look like natural movements. Yeah. But that get the perpetrator away from the victim. Everyone should see that. I mean, that sounds like really Yeah, I know. Helpful. It's just that I keep losing it. But <laughs> It's all your fault. <laughs> it's all my fault. But yeah, so it's little things like that. And it's also using, if you're in a position of privilege, it's using that position of privilege. Um, it's a conversation I had with someone a couple of years ago about, um, about how to be a good ally and about inserting yourself in situations that are safe for you but that also allowed the other person dignity because we have a really that common thing of like, you know, sit next to the person and engage them in conversation, pretend that you know them and let them know that they're the victim, you know, and let them know that they're not alone. And it's all very victim focused, Mm -hmm. which is good, but that doesn't necessarily stop the person from still screaming or yelling racial epithets or, you know, whatever threatening in some way. So I like the idea of kind of, again, just disrupting the scene, you know, if necessary, inserting myself physically between them um, in a way that looks like an accident so that the person who's being assaulted can get away. Maybe they don't even know that I've done it. Right. You know, so they can also get away with dignity. Mm Mm-hmm. 
because I think that that's really important too. And, and also allowing some people want to engage in a fight. You know, you want to engage in a fight right now, go right ahead. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not going to insert myself. But yeah, you know, so when you, I don't know. I mean, for example, I feel like I'm tooting my own horn. I am, I guess. Uh, I was walking through the park with a friend of mine who's Irish. Um, so both of us, you know, are white people and we're that, I guess you don't have to be white to be Irish, but nonetheless, he's white. I'm white. Um, he's pretty tall and we're walking through the park near where I live. And there is a group of hooligans getting drunk, um, and walking before us and kind of in front of us, not really aware that we were behind them was this kid who, a black kid um, who was dressed in very colorful rave garb, you know, and was definitely, I wouldn't say androgynous, but was, you know, kind of portraying a fluid sexuality, I think would be a better way because they weren't like no sexuality. But so, you know, they were – they were kind of walking through the park and, you know, enjoying their walk on a sunny day. And suddenly these hooligans throw a a beer bottle at the kid and the kid stops and they're going to turn around and start. And they did, they turned and they started screaming, you know, and then the hooligans started to get up and my friend and I were walking by and I said, Oh, let's just slow down because, you know, I'm this middle-aged white lady and for those of you who don't live in Germany, we talked earlier about Germans reprimanding you. There is nothing worse than being reprimanded by a middle-aged German woman. <laughs> they don't know that I'm American. So anyway, so we slowed down because I knew that if if our presence was still there, if those hooligans saw us, they were less likely to cont- they were less likely to attack that kid. Mm-hmm. That kid had no idea we were there. I don't know how he was so clueless about that, but nonetheless, he was. So we sort of hovered in the area until the kid said whatever he had to say and then continued on their way, Mm. you know, and then walked behind them just to sort of make sure that the area was clear and they were safely on their way. But the hooligans, they, they saw us. So they were about to throw another bottle and they saw us and they just kind of Mm -hmm. exchanged verbiage. So it's also using privilege in that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, you know, you're going to respect me for whatever dumb reason you're going to respect me, but I know you're going to respect me and that's going to make you think twice about, you know, this violence that you're about to do to somebody. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things it sounds like you can do, but like obviously keep yourself safe first and then just be uh, somewhat creative about how to... um use the the space in the scenario and your and your privilege to 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 your advantage right and i think just switching your thinking from helping and saving mm-hmm. because you know when i work with with people of color um or other and or other disadvantaged communities you know people in the trans community or you know people in the gay community or, or sex workers or whatever it's like you know we don't we don't want the white savior. We don't want your help, you know? Okay, cool. But I can still disrupt. And it's not like, you know, and you'll never know, (laughs) you know, maybe you will, maybe you don't. I don't care. I'm not doing it because I want your gratitude. I'm doing it because I don't want to see that violence right now. And so 
you know, it's, it's, it, again, a lot of the common thinking is focusing on the victim and helping the victim, but I feel that it might be more effective in a lot of cases to think of it more as disrupting a situation so the victim can get away. Pretty Deadly Self-Defense is a self-defense program created by a 20-year martial arts veteran and violent crime survivor, Susie Collin, based in Berlin, Germany. You can learn more about Susie and the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense program at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com.